We spend far too much time worried about what makes us different than the next person or better than the next person and not enough time thinking about why we should respect the next person. We all have a story, an overarching theme that runs through our lives and makes us who we are. The problem is, we think that since each of our stories is different, there's not a lot of perceived value or shared struggle. But we have far more in common than we can imagine, and what motivates one person can certainly help us as well. The Third Lab Podcast is about understanding, respecting, and appreciating the struggle that it takes to overcome immeasurable odds in order to reach your destiny. Join me as I interview and bond with some of the most inspiring and incredible people, diving into their why to get a full understanding of their being. Without each other, we have nothing. So let's go on this adventure together and take on the future with open minds and open hearts. Welcome to the Third Lap Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you once again for tuning in. Kyle the Conductor Morris, who is the CEO at the Education Culture Opportunities Foundation, Eco Foundation, located here in West Philadelphia. Really excited about this interview today. Kyle, what's going on, man? How you feeling today? Hey, what's up, fam? I'm just happy to be here, man. You just that was a great intro. You know, said a lot. So I'm, I'm I gotta live up to that. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, is there anything I missed? Is there anything else that you want to throw out there? I mentioned that you were the CEO of Eco Foundation, but uh, anything else you want to toss to the people? You know what, man? I think that, uh, like, a part of that, the reason why I said live up to it is because, yes, I'm a CEO. Like, that's my my title, my position. But I'm the way I'm positioned is I'm a servant first. I'm a servant leader. Um, so I'm a servant. I'm a vessel. I'm an entertainer, which is someone who educates and entertains. I got that from KRS-One. And... Um, and yeah, I'm a conductor. So, you know, I conduct myself a certain way so I can conduct energy in a room a certain way and ultimately conduct my people to freedom. I mean, that's what it's about. We do that through the frequencies uh, of our minds and our hearts. So I just got to use my words wisely. So um, serving leader first, artists, all those other things. Yeah, and I love that edutainer, man. I like that hybrid. You said that's KRS-One. When I saw yeah. you, that that's how you described yourself. I was like, yeah, I'm rocking with that, man. That's a great way to encompass a lot of things in a really simple word, but it, you know, it has a lot of different layers to it. And so, you know, just to talk a little bit about how Kyle and I know each other. So it's funny, man, you know, uh, my wife met Kyle well before I did. She had gone to Eco Foundation to record something for her job. You know, she came back excited. She had some swag. She had your, your T-shirt. She had the sticker that I now actually have on the back of my computer right now. And she was like, Mal, listen. She was like, I met the dude. She was like, you're going to love this place. It's in West Philadelphia. Like, you got to go. You got to hit him up. Got to check him. She gave me a business card. And I ain't do nothing. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't, you know what I mean? I ain't move on to that. Oh, man. And so maybe fast forward like a month, six weeks. And um, I get on to Apple Podcasts and I notice that there's a review on there. So I'm reading the review and it was a tough day already. And I'm like, man, you know, it's amazing how God just works, though. So I'm reading the review and I, I, I screenshot it and I sent it to my wife. I'm like, yo, check this out. Like, this is great. Like, you know, somebody really shared some love on the reviews. And so she comes like bursting out where her office is upstairs. And she was like, yo, that's the dude I was telling you to hook up with. Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, I was like, I bet. Like, that's God really talking to me. So I picked up your business card. I called your um, the Eco Foundation. Somebody picked up. We talked. I think it might have been Selena, actually. Um, we talked for a moment. She was like, he'll get back to you. You ended up hitting me when I was chilling with my dad. You and I chopped it up for a little bit. 
Um, and we've been rocking ever since. And like I told you, I wanted a chance to come by and really see things in person. Had a chance to come out, uh, I believe two Saturdays ago to volunteer um, and just hand out goods. And, and it was just everything that I thought it would be was, I couldn't even imagine it, right? Cause like when I show, I actually had driven by Eco several times. I thought it was a hair salon to be real with you. I thought it was definitely the place next door. This half is the hair salon, like right? The other half is, so you know, yeah, split. yeah. That it had me messed up. I'm like, wait a second, it's in the hair salon, like not. Nah. <laughs> and so I walk in, um, got a chance to meet some of the staff that you have there, some of the volunteers. But what I really love was seeing the young kids at work, the young men that were in there working, bagging up the the um, perishable goods and also the toiletries. Um, Y'all set up the table in front. We would hand this stuff out when the time started to dwindle down a little bit. We actually walked the neighborhood with the kids, handing stuff out to the folks in the neighborhood. And, you know, like you and I had talked about, this is really what I was looking for because this is what I used to do in New York. And coming to Philadelphia, I really struggled to find a place to continue to do this um, for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, Kyle, I got to tell you, man, what you're doing in West Philly and just the work that you do, period, is just incredible, you know, and I'm blessed to have now you in my life, man. And I feel like, you know, this is a relationship that's only going to continue to grow over time. Looking forward to serving again this Saturday. I'll be there. I was in Delaware last Saturday, but I'll be there this Saturday. Yeah, man, it was just a blessing. So um, anything you want to share in regards to like how we know each other? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it's divine. It's, it's really that simple. Um, and black men, uh, we got to believe women. And, you know, when I say women, I'm always talking about our women first. You know, it just goes without saying it's default. And um, yeah, but I, honestly, man, it's, it's just divine. And I wanted to speak on you serving. Like a lot of people will say, oh, I want to come check y'all out or I want to come whatever. Like you showed up and you got your hands dirty and you was you were doing the things that I couldn't. I was in class all day that day. So 830 to 430. I'm stuck at a computer, stuck at a, you know, on an iPad or whatever. And you were able to go into the community because when we have towards the end of the day, that last hour or two, we go visit our neighbors. We know certain houses we got to hit because they got six kids or, or she's older and she can't get around like that. But um, because you were there and other people were there, like other men were there, I felt safe letting my kids or not my kids, but you know, our blocks kids, our community's kids go walk the streets with y'all. Um, so I just really appreciate you stepping up and, and, and putting your putting your, your time where where you know your talk is, you know. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, nah, it was great, man. Shout outs to Daniel from KIPP. He's one of our teaching fellows. I actually ran into him randomly. We didn't even recognize each other. So he ain't seen me with long hair. I didn't see, I've never seen him without his glasses. So it was a moment of like, uh, like you the you the, I know you right. <laughs> so we we had a chance to chop it up. So he was he walked with one group, I walked with the other group in the opposite direction. Um, but real big shout outs to the kids that actually participated though, because they were really knocking on doors. They did the legwork. We were just out there to protect them, make sure that they was good, crossing the street safely, making sure nobody was acting up, right? <laughs> that was the main thing. But the kids were really the ones putting the work in it. So you know, again, man, I look forward to continuing to participate, um, continuing to really just make my presence known at Eco. Um, and again, you know, I think that this is something that will continue to see flourish into the future. Um, I'm glad that, you know, my wife, and like you said, listen to the women. I, I always listen to my wife. I play tough with her sometimes. Like, I ain't listening to her, man. But I always, it sinks in and I listen because, you know, my wife is a blessing. She's one of the best things that ever happened to me. And so it wasn't that I didn't believe her as far as you were somebody to connect with as much as just life got in the way. Um, but it's funny how, like you said, it was divine. God reconnected us in, in a much more purposeful way anyway. So glad that we made that connection. And so Kyle, you know, tell me where you from, man. This is the Rep Your Hood section. So what hood you repping? 
Hey man, I'm fresh out the gritty, gritty, gritty streets of Roxborough, which is uh, not a gritty neighborhood at all. Uh, we had deer and like raccoons in my backyard and all that, but um, but you know, you know, it was tough. It was tough out there, man. I had to shovel snow. I had to rake leaves. You know, we had grass to take care of. You know, it was it really builds character. Um, but nah, I, I grew up in Roxborough section of Philly. That's Northwest, so it's like uh, one of like the if you're in Northwest Philly, it's like I'm probably two miles away from the city line before you enter into the county. Definitely white neighborhood. I remember when we first got busing in 98, uh, and like black kids started to come to our, our elementary school. I went from being like maybe one of two black kids in the class or maybe three to, um, to you know, it was, it was a nice mix, really nice mix. So uh, I grew up in Roxborough section, but I'm born and raised in Philly, never left. And uh, even went to school all, all up and around Philly. So Cheney University, for undergrad, Lincoln University for grad school, but I took classes in Center City uh, or University City rather. And then now I'm at Temple for my doctorate, which is also in Center City. So I'm just Philly throwing through, man. So, so yeah, Philly stand up. 215, do or die. Yeah, that is. <laughs> shout outs, Philly, man. Um, and shout outs to HBCUs too. You know, like that's a beautiful thing. Glad that you had a chance to get that experience. Congratulations. Yeah, it was crazy, man. When you, you were saying on Saturday, you were in class like all day. And I was marveling at that because I'm like, man, this dude is really putting this work in. Like he making sure that the, the community is served, but he also making sure to serve himself. And I think that a lot of times it's like when people are in that service mindset, like I am a servant leadership, we forget that we also have to serve ourselves. We have to serve our purpose. And so I'm glad to see that you're also able to simultaneously like balance those things. I know it's not easy, um, but I also know it's because you you have good talent at Eco and like you work with good people that are able to really have the autonomy to do the things that they need to without you always having to like micromanage what they do. And that's the mark of a good owner, man, a good CEO. They hire the right people. And so shout out to Roxborough. Yeah, it's a lot of deers and stuff. You know, people underestimate living in the birds, man, especially as a black person in a predominantly white neighborhood. I think a lot of folks misunderstand the burden that comes with that, right? Like, you know, yeah, you could walk home safely, but can you? Cause you got people watching you, you know what I mean? Police watching you. They don't believe that you from over there. And so, you know, for me growing up in the suburbs in New Jersey, spent about half my life there. Um, it was always something going on. So shout outs to Roxborough, shout outs to Philly for sure. This my city the same way as yours. I'm glad that I could finally get back here. And so, you know, you had a chance to rep your hood. We talked a little bit about how we know each other, Kyle. And so, Talk to me about how you began this pathway. We'll get to where you are right now and certainly talk about where you would like to take it. But how did all of this start? What what even brought you to the point where you opened the ego and you realized that you really had this service and servant mindset? I think it started in Roxborough, man. Like I think it was being in like MG class and, and feeling like I was more privileged or special because I had to be immensely gifted classes and then leaving there uh, and then also like not liking class. The only class I liked was MG because I was challenged, right? Um, didn't like gym, I was never into sports. So then fast forward to, I went to the school called Masterman, which is a magnet school. Like, at the time, probably the best public school in the city. And I only liked it for social reasons. I didn't like it for academics. Like school was all right, um, but I didn't enjoy it. And then puberty hit and I lost my mind and I, uh, I got kicked out. So getting a second chance at this charter school on Canary, where I went to school, predominantly Puerto Ricans, other side of the boulevard. Like, I didn't know, I've never seen, I've probably seen like one girl, Ashley Torres, only Puerto Rican I knew, Rafael Rivera, only like two Puerto Ricans my whole life. So to go from that to being like one of, when we graduated from high school, like one of five 
four black men and a whole four black boys at the time and a whole school, you know, um, it, it was just different. It was different. So, um, but it started there because I saw how strict that school was. I had to wear a clear book bag and wear a blazer and wear like a tie with, with buttons on my lapel, black socks and polished shoes and all of that. And it was a charter school, but they were just so strict. And I, I, I just, I, I hated it. I really hated it. I, I got suspended my senior year for, uh, I got suspended one year for like talking during a fire drill. I suspended senior year for doing a little prank, kicked off the basketball team when I finally got into sports. like. It was nutty, and when I was suspended, I, I called my grandma, uh, my, who has transcended, Cheryl Morris. I called her, and I was suspended. I was mad. I saw this movie called Accepted, and the movie Accepted was about these kids who couldn't get into a college, so they all made up their own school, which was Southampton Institute of Technology, SHIT, and they of course made it all up. But <clears throat> at the end of it, they were able to prove that at, at learning really took place and they were able to keep the university alive and keep it open. I called my grandma excited, like, yo, school sucks. The school I'm at now, they started with two row homes and a dream back in 1980 something. So if they could do it, I want to do it. She's like, all right, baby, well, this is what you got to do. I took out a book, like one of those like nicer books that somebody gave me. And I was writing out what I wanted to do. And she was, you got to be a teacher. Then you gotta be a principal and uh, eventually you can own your own school. And I'm like, all right, well, bet, that's what I'm gonna do. And um, I applied to some other school, Millersville actually, and which is a great education program. But in short, um, I ended up at Chain University on full scholarship and I'm so thankful. And I only include those parts because it shows how much I dislike education and how, whether it was the academics or the behavior, like whatever it is, it was stupid rules. Like education system is a, it's a racket. A lot of businesses come into our community and, and get that high dollar amount per child and then keep it and kick that kid out. And it's just a lot of ugliness takes place. So by the time I graduated and was able to, um, I was able to go into, I worked at a homeless drop-in center, uh, a drop-in center for homeless youth. And while I was working there, I started doing these workshops and I was like, yo, I've changed majors from education and communications. Well, I something about being in those workshops, working with young people around my age, because I was only 22, 23. And it just made me feel like, yo, this is it. I learned about like safe spaces. I learned about self-care. I learned about the sanctuary model. Like I've got youth mental health certified, like just certain things that, like seeing the person before the problem, right? And, and asking um, like, what happened to you versus why are you like this? You know, like making sure somebody's okay. And I started teaching and I started, I left that job, started teaching and uh, taught for a year. And then I was a Dean. And then I stopped being a Dean. I was a site coordinator and I was on track to be what our school would have been a, a, a assistant principal or vice principal, if you will, because we gave out GEDs, but we also gave out diplomas. So it's something about working with the most vulnerable populations that I always appreciated. But I saw that our kids were graduating and not doing anything. They were graduating and at least not doing what they wanted to or still getting shot or doing the shootings. Like I had students who like killed their children or shot up block parties or like done some wild things, you know, or robbed people and all that. And I'm not saying that us as educators in an end all be all, but if we would have done our job better and educated our children more holistically, maybe they'd had better opportunities or maybe they would have had the mental health supports, wraparound services that they needed at 21, 22 and you're a parent or you're a 20 year old freshman, like how do we get you where you need to be? So I quit my day job in 2016 and started a for-profit company 
and uh, we did the workshops in schools and then we hit a barrier where we needed a nonprofit to get into public schools. Charter schools would take us, but public schools wouldn't. So we started the Eco Foundation in 2018. We never looked back, man. It just started as uh, we were working schools during the day, do some after school programming. Shout out to Brother Obasanko for the Lyrical Soldier, the current president of the Eco Foundation. He really helped me get into schools where we taught reading and math through hip hop and poetry. It was called University of Rap and Rap stood for Reading Activates Power. So we were able to do cool stuff like that. And eventually we started doing professional developments. Like once I got my master's, like they would actually let me do training. So I'm like, I'm the same person I was before this degree, but whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's that's really what we do. We make sure everybody's getting the same message and we start working with their families. Uh, summer 2018, we made sure families were also getting paint nights and, um, and experiences where they can bring in financial literacy or whatever it is the family wants. We don't go in there with assumptions. We go in there asking questions and we come up with the curriculum that people need. Yeah, man. That was a lot. That was a lot. No, no, that, that was great, man. And, you know, I really want to be able to dig into kind of all of those different components because a lot of what you mentioned is really important. So first, it's funny, actually, I went to Masterman in fifth grade. Um, and so it's always funny to hear folks, yeah, man, I was in Masterman in fifth grade. Um, and I actually ran into a dude that used to work for Uncommon Schools. We were actually at Masterman at the same time, which was crazy because I don't remember him at all, but he knew a bunch of my friends and I know like we had a bunch of people in common. So uh, Masterman had a lot of talented people in that school for sure, man. It's funny that uh, that's crazy that just overlap there is random. Yeah. Um, but what you said about like the social services and like the wraparounds is so important um, because, you know, Think that that's so overlooked in education a lot of times we want to address just math and reading and just you know push them through get them to college but in reality you 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 can only really and we, people talk about this a lot you can only aspire to what you see right and so if you're not consistently seeing people that have reached those levels like i work with some eighth graders in the bronx who once they graduated eighth grade were like the highest educated people in their family and so when our expectation for them was like, okay, you're going to college, sitting now thinking about, you know, a lot of those students that I work with, only a handful of them made it to college. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a bunch of them in the streets, a bunch of them kind of wandering back and forth, trying to figure out what they're trying to do. But we never really set those expectations for them. They were never really those places where, like you said, we assume the best. What happened to you, right? Like, can we talk about and address the trauma so that we can get to the bottom of that and then start educating the person holistically? Um, you know, we want to just pile on top of it. You know, you got kids that lost brothers and sisters, the gang violence, but we want you to come to school. Like, as soon as you walk through this threshold, you got to just forget all of that. And that's not realistic, right? Like, as adults, we came to school as teachers and teaching fellows and deans, carrying all of our stuff at home, right in the work. But we expected the kids not to do the same. And so, you know, I'm glad that you had that epiphany so early and you were able to then turn that into trainings at for-profit and then eventually the nonprofit. It's also funny, like you said, with the master's degree, how you're the same person, but you get a piece of paper and now you got the credentials and people believe you, but you was doing that the whole time. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about just that, the rap program, right? And so you, you were using hip hop and, and lyrics to teach reading and math and talk about that because that's a really unique way to approach it especially with the math part i think you know it wouldn't be the first time that anyone's done that for like reading because like the reading comprehension component spoken word like there's that clear overlap but talk to me about like the math and the implementation there 
Yeah, so Brother Obasankofa, uh, who we call the Lyrical Soldier, he is somebody who, um, he also hated Matt. Well, he, I'm sorry, he also hated teaching. He always felt like if we had a Jay-Z come and teach math and we would all sit down, listen and pay attention. So he had to come up with a way that was creative. Um, whether we're doing Royal Relay races where we have two teams, three teams, and you have like multiple math problems on the board and you have to help your team figure it out before they could pass the dry race marker to the next one. Or we're playing this game um, called Dice Cube where everyone has a foam die and we go shake them up, shake them up, shake them up, shake them. And we throw them on, shake them, and you have to add up all the primary colors multiplied by the secondary colors. Um, or we're doing um, the, which was a newer thing, the math that's in the bars. How can, how can you count bars? Okay, and if the beat is three minutes and 48 seconds, how many, verse, how many bars can you fit in there? If a verse is typically 16 bars, how many verses can you put versus how many hooks, eight bar hooks? So really just show them, and of course, the most important, um, which is the program that I created um, that Oba has once again helped me out significantly, Bustlenomics, the business of hustling and economics. You have to show them tangible things, whether it's a wristband that we paid 11 cents for and two, a two cent business card and then a one cent plastic envelope. How, do we, how much does one pack cost? Okay, how much do we sell it for? How much is our profit? What's our goal? If our goal is to go on a pizza party, have a pizza party or go to uh, Gravity or Sky Zone or something like that, then how much, how many wristbands do each one of us need to sell? So it's really just taking real numbers and showing them that. And it's also being transparent and vulnerable with them. So this past summer, this is cool dude in Philly named KP. Um, KP, Christopher KP, KP Brown had an open mic called Breed Love, really dope dude, phenomenal man. And uh, he allowed me to stay at his house when I would like sublet in a room for a little while last school year or two school years ago. He told me what he does is he actually shows his bills and his paychecks. And when he, he's, he's an artist too. So if he's commissioned to do a piece or if he's hosting an event, he, he brings all those pay stubs and checks in and then shows all his bills and then tells the kids like, all right, how much money do I really have for lunch? Or how much money can I spend doing this? And his vulnerability, when he told me that when we were roommates, it was like, yo, I can't wait to turn this into a lesson. So this past summer, I'm like, look, this is how much money I have coming in here from this job or from, from this pot of money. And then this is what my savings is doing. And then look at my savings is not growing. It just stays the same, but look at the money I have in the market. And then showing them, okay, yes, this is what I put in the stocks. And you can see where I lost putting money in the stocks, but you see where I made. And it's up to you how you want to do that. But just showing on my spreadsheet and my daily log, how much I have at the, at the close of business, it, it just showed them like a level of transparency that my parents never showed me. I didn't know how much money my mom made until we had to do fast food. And that was when I was like, you make all of that? How come you don't have any money? And, da, da, da. and I didn't realize that 60000 or 55000 in 2008 wasn't a lot. The market just crashed, right? Like, and and she, she just bought a house in 07. So... So it's just, it's just, it's tough, man. But when you got to be transparent with kids, you got to show them numbers that they care about. You got to be, uh, whether you're doing like not a statistic where you're using like, okay, what are the stats on people in your age group? Are you going to be one of those or you're not going to be one of those? You know, what are some more positive numbers? Okay, if the stat says only 7% of people make it, then how are you, what are you going to do to make sure you're going to be that 7%? You have to break down your school year into 180 days. That means you just got to be thorough like 150 of those days, the other 30, you can slip up, you know, uh, hopefully they don't, but just letting them be human, letting them make mistakes. That's what it's all about. Yeah, nah, what you named there around like the real life application is so important. And now 
you know, I remember what you said about your mom. So I remember sitting down when I turned 18, like I ain't know what bread my mother bread came from. Like I knew that I was doing my little thing, working jobs, yada, 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 trying to just run some checks up myself. But my mom sat down with me and was like, hey, like I'm gonna teach you how to balance a checkbook. So I'm 35. So anybody listening that it ain't that old, you don't know nothing about balancing the checkbook. But we sat down at 18, I balanced hers. And I just remember like really seeing how much she had coming in versus how much she was kicking out. And I, my mind was blown, son. My mind was blown how much the house costs, how much the car costs, insurance on all these things, um, just bills in general, like light, cable. And I'm just like, wow, we should be learning this in school. You know, like I, I, I tell people all the time, I took algebra twice, uh, three times in high school. I still don't know how I did that. Humongous oversight by the school administrators. <laughs> they I obviously should not have taken algebra that many times. I told wow. my dad that my pops was like, I hope you was getting A's the last two times. It's like, nah, my brother, I got an A, I think the third time. <laughs> but that second time I was still struggling. So that class was hard, bro. Um, but, you know, when I sit and think about that versus what really matters, which is accounting. So what you said, like, you know, what's going in versus what comes out. I learned that in business school, accounting. My accounting class changed my life because I realized that you know, you have to balance these things out that, you know, has to equate to zero. My wife who's getting her MBA now, we were sitting down one day talking about her class and she was really talking about her own struggles with finances and growing up, how like she didn't really have the same lens that we want to give our children, right? And so, you know, I love what I hear from you about making it real life applicable. Um, and that's the key, the kids lock into it, you know, that that's what they want to hear. That's what they want to see. So many times as educators, we don't have these transparent relationships with our students, especially our older kids, our high schoolers, even middle schoolers. Like I was honest and frank with a lot of my middle schoolers because A, I knew that they were growing up in one of the poorest congressional districts in the country. So I knew what that meant for them long-term, even if they didn't as an adult, I knew what it meant for them. And so I knew how important it was when they did something correct to big that up heavily. And when they made a mistake to sit them down and be like, yo, break down the mentality around why you did what you did and then show me why, right? And then when you get to the root of like, that didn't make sense, okay. So now you understand when you're in that same position in the future, don't make that same choice. And if you do take the responsibility for the actions that come out of it, because we just talked about this now and you know that that wasn't going to be the right choice. Um, and that's something that my parents did do for me, but the financial piece, investing in the stock market, how to save, budgeting. Nah, I was, I'm, I'm still to this day, I'm blowing bread, man. Like my wife in the stock market now, she's like, man, you need to get it together. And I'm still like, listen, I got a PS5, a PS5, I got to pay for that. <laughs> so, you know. And I share, I share my portfolio. You can still have a PS5 and make, make sound investments. You know, I got you. Yeah, nah, and but I've been reading heavy on that now because I'm at a point where I know that there's so many other things that I want to be able to accomplish. But back to the point of like why I even mentioned it, learning these things when you're in middle school and high school sets you up to be in a much better place. And I bought a book recently called The Color of Money, which is all about how white people got such a humongous advantage on the black community, specifically because of like banking practices. And so we're already playing from behind, right? And I think that that's something that so many of us don't understand is that we're playing from a deficit, which means that we have to be smarter, we have to allocate funds better, and we have to teach other people how to do this so that they can be in a better position than where we are. And so, you know, I love everything that you've mentioned so far, but I really kind of want to dive in. And so this is Mal Davis with the Third Lab Podcast. I'm here with Kyle Morris talking about his pathway to where he is currently in his career. And so Kyle, you 
you had the for-profit, but to get into public schools, you had to transition into the nonprofit, which became the Eco Foundation, correct? Correct. Yeah, and so now here we are, you you transitioned into the Eco Foundation. Talk to me about the work that you're doing there. What's What's been going on with the Eco Foundation over these past several years? So um, realistically, man, uh, we've been fortunate enough to focus on those three areas, education. So usually whether it's families, adults, um, you got to trick people into learning. That's what really what all comes down to. Even kids, like you have to give them a show. Like that's that's what entertainment's all about. Like you're not you're not teaching them a lesson. You have to convince them, like a car salesman, to to buy in or intentionally invest their time and energy into something. And it can't just be lip service. You got to show them. You have to show them the value. You have to connect the dots. Right. Same thing with parents. I've found it's it's harder to get the adults that are immediately in this area, like around the eco center, to come in here. Um, they'll come for services when it's free outside grab and go, but to come in for like events is much more challenging. Um, so we're brainstorming ways where we actually, we have to go out into the community. We have to go to the corner store, go to the hairdresser, go to the places where they are and just set up shop. Like, Hey, can we just tell you what we got going on? Here's how it could benefit you. Uh, but we also have the culture part. So whether we're doing an event like the big old kids party, the big old kids party is an event where adults get to come. We have free childcare and just leave the worries of the world behind and, and just be a big kid for a day. We didn't all have the best childhoods in our lives. And, you know, some of us have a lot of trauma that we're still unpacking in our adult lives. And the way those things manifest can be harmful and it affects all of our relationships. So come to the big old kids party, jump in the moon balance, ride a horse, play uh, musical chairs and, you know, hide and seek or hide and freak or whatever, if it's you and your boo and um, have a good time and eat like fun dip. And, you know, we all drink, drink drinks out of um, like kids cups and sippy cups and all that. So putting puzzles together, playing Uno and, you know, it's a fun time, but we also raffle off free therapy sessions. You get three free sessions um, because inner child therapy is very important. And um, I think it's, it's safe to announce because when this is airing, we have an event coming up called the Big Old Kids Party Play Date. So um, the play date will be a chance for people and their partners or people and their partners to come through and have a good time. Uh, this will be a series of everything from like noodle making and Kool-Aid making competitions um, down to um, to like paint nights. But you got to fingerprint or, or use crayons. You know, it's still professional artists, but we're just trying to figure out how you could be a kid. And we still provide childcare to make sure people can have a good time. Um, that's the culture part. And then we have opportunities. We give our micro grants every month. Um, I say micro because it's $250 or less. And that's just what we say in the grant world, but it's not to belittle it because it's not to necessarily businesses, it's to whoever wants the money to do something good in the areas of education, culture, and opportunities. So when it was Ramadan at the end of Eid, we had, um, or when Eid happened, we were able to give out like toys and all the stuff that they have. Uh, we'll put some money towards that. Um, when it's somebody else, somebody else wanted like a lens for their camera, someone else wanted software to make beats. Like as long as it is for the good of people and it's just like, I just don't got that extra $75, I don't have that extra $200 to invest in this. That's what we're here for. Um, graduate, uh, somebody was trying to go to law school most recently in August. We had gave them some money for the applications. I didn't know applications were like $80. Like those are some of the barriers. Like I really want to go to this school, but I don't even know if I'll get in, um, but it costs as much. And same thing for apartments. My, um, my fiance is looking for an apartment right now, uh, or was, and there were places who had like $75 non-refundable application fees or $50 non-refundable application fees. So it's just, our job as an organization is to be a utility to our community and serve them in the best way that they can. And one of the ways we do that is by making sure we provide um, those things because at the root of it, 
my homie Aunt Ebony and I, we were talking when he was still working at the Enterprise Center. The root of many of our problems is we just had more education. And that's not necessarily formal education, but just like information, knowledge, um, and applying it, which turns into wisdom. And then culture. How can we bridge the gap between Africans and African-Americans or Philadelphians and, and New Yorkers or whatever? And then opportunities. Like, how can we do job training, workforce development training, get you a suit, get you some ties, get you some, some dress shoes, or get you some money to get you through the month? If you don't, and then make sure that the whole time we're providing food, like food and toiletries. Like no one, you feel better about yourself when you brush your teeth or you got deodorant or you got a chance to shower. I'm not, they say like in Snickers, you're not you when you're hungry. Like I'm not me when I'm hungry. I get real hangry and emotional. I'm already a cancer. So you don't want me not eating food. Like it's just not the move. So I just think it's really important for us to remember to, um, to make sure we look out for our neighbors. And what we're doing when, when markets broke down and we were giving out food every day, and I'm, I'm glad it caught one of the, uh, the attention of the media and the news was there covering our stories and all of that, but it's not impossible. The market shut down. I'm on Facebook seeing people complain about how older people and other people don't have access to things in the middle of a food desert. All right, put your money where your mission is. I took 50 of my own money. My board said it was cool to take $50. We had a black owned produce truck, Village Produce. They hooked us up with all this stuff. And we went to the market and gave our food for free. A week later, we raised $7,000 and was hitting six, seven neighborhoods in a day, every day until the markets opened up. And then when they opened up, we realized, yo, people still need food. People now need are asking for soap and to toothpaste and whatever. All right, Amazon, dollar store. Let's make it happen. Let's just, let's, let's keep this coming in because people have needs and our job as those with privilege, those with the degrees, HBCUs or otherwise, is to make sure we leverage that and put a little bit aside. Uh, if you're a Christian, you call it tithing. But whatever it is you believe, Jews, they do something similar as well. But no matter what it is that you're doing, you have to put a little something aside for other people. And whether it comes back to you or not, it's not about that. Maybe it's just the investment. This person's not hungry. They have something. So I have to look over my shoulder at night as much. So I can hit the ATM and I have to trip about some kid I didn't educate 10, 15 years ago. So, I mean, no matter why we're doing it, that's why we do what we do. We creatively educate and inspire people and make sure we put the work in support anybody that falls through the cracks and when people hear this episode they have they will have no doubt why i had you on here right because uh, <laughs> everything that you just said right now is really what the foundation of like the panther party was right when you're talking about the free breakfast in schools and so many kids white children included access free breakfast and don't even comprehend where that came from like that came from the panther party realizing that there was a need in the community and they address that need. And, you know, I really love what you said around putting your money where your mouth is. And a lot of times people don't like it's easy to talk and it's hard to walk that path. And, you know, I, I like that you and your colleagues have addressed it. Um, and especially as privileged, educated black people, like we have to do more for folks that just have not been afforded the opportunities that we have. And I remember one day I was just talking about my life and I've been through it. Like, you know, a lot of it was self-inflicted. I'll be hundred percent. I tell people that, you know, I made bad choices, but nonetheless, those bad choices put me in places where, you know, I don't want to ever see somebody be. And so I'm just talking about it one day with my wife and my wife was like, yo, but like your mom sent you to private schools. Like you had a, like you have privilege, like you need to really address that. And I was tight. Like, I was like, I'm privileged. Like, yo, come on, man. I'm oppressed out here in these streets. And then, you know, I had to really sit and think. And, you know, as always, I say my wife pushes my thinking in such a phenomenal way. Um, but when I realized what she said was so true, it only furthered my mission to want to give back and serve in a different way. 
And everything that you mentioned were things that like, you know, my cousin and I on Thanksgiving, we would spend like a hundred bucks and just walk around through New York City, just handing out food. Um, and it was actually funny how many homeless people were not interested. That's a whole different story. I didn't think that that would be the case, but they was like, nah, we don't want your food, bro. And so it was actually harder to give out the food than we thought it would be. But, you know, again, everything that you said resonated with me and I think will really resonate with a lot of the people that listen to this because I tend to rock with a lot of mission aligned people um, and folks that are trying to do their best to give back. But you mentioned everything that Eco's done addressing the fact that like we live in food deserts and food deserts are a real thing. I uh, visited this school out in DC in the Southeast and the students in the classroom were talking to some of the council people in that area specifically about food deserts and listening to high schoolers talk about like not having stable access to real produce, real meat. You know, there was a whole story that uh, there was a supermarket here in Philadelphia that um, it was in the hood, I think it was in Southwest. And they were getting meat from the suburbs that was like old that had reached this past due date. And like, they were literally sending it down to Southwest to resell it because they just don't care, yo. And you know, these aren't the first times you got Flint, Michigan. I, I, I'm pretty sure Flint still doesn't have clean drinking water at this point. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we deal with these things all the time. We know that they're real, but what are we doing about it to address it, right? Like, what are we doing to turn around and be the LeBrons that open schools or a Diddy or a Jalen Rose, right? That really are trying to address the inequities and turn them around or you and your partners, right? Like turn it around and make it into something where we can educate the people. And so you talked about the work that you're currently doing, but this wouldn't be a third lap podcast episode if we didn't talk about the difficulties, right? We didn't talk about like, what have you had to personally, philosophically, spiritually overcome and work through and just continue to work through to be able to go to where you envision this headed? Honestly, man, it's been the biggest thing, biggest challenge in doing all of this is getting over myself, um, getting over having to be in control. Like when you create something, when you have a vision, you want to see it carried out the way you want to carry it out. But I realized I don't know everything. I can't teach everything. So I'm not teaching Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. Brother Russ and Brother Eric are. I'm not teaching yoga. That's Youth Design Philly. I'm not teaching architecture. I'm not teaching um, sign language and social media. And um, I'm not a therapist. I'm definitely not touching the mental health stuff. I speak at it from my own perspective, but I have to realize I can't teach the health and nutrition classes and and all the things that we do, because I'm not that person. When we rode our bikes just now two miles away to Barsham's Gardens, I'm not telling them anything about those horses. Those are not my horses. I don't remember the horses' names. You know, I know that's the main, and that turns into bundles, and those the hooves, and they got shoes and stuff. That's what I know. You know, I stay in my lane. And I think that when I realized the importance of, of stepping away and letting people not even share the spotlight, but just better connect with kids. Like people say that sometimes you, uh, kids need to hear, not just kids, people need to hear things a thousand times and you may not always be a thousand voice. And recognizing that I know that I need to step away because them sirens gonna still go off. And those kids are, are gonna hear that and, and you don't know how they're being impacted by that. But when that happens, who's gonna be the person that they feel safe enough to to connect with and be that caring adult that they can speak to? or whatever. So I think the biggest challenge I face is just recognizing like I'm not the savior. And I think a lot of people who come from privilege and come from backgrounds and don't get it twisted. I shared a room with my grandma and my mom and my sister shared a room together. And when I was older, I, I moved to the living room, but like we had brooches and all of that. We were in a nice neighborhood. Our house wasn't <laughs> the best, but my mom was doing her best. But 
I still have a certain level of privilege. And because of that, I see what happened to my family. Those around me who did, have, did not take advantage of certain opportunities or couldn't take advantage of certain opportunities. So I have the responsibility to do that. And I think when you take on that burden, it's almost like you're never doing enough. Like something I talked about with my therapist uh, last Monday was I, I don't like to take rest and I, I feel guilty about resting. I feel guilty about sitting down playing 2K. I feel guilty about um, watching a couple episodes of whatever I want to watch, Dragon Ball or like Boondocks or whatever on Netflix. Like, you know, it's I, I need time to, what he calls it is I can't look at it as rest, I have to look at it as recover. Any athlete or anybody who's doing anything needs to take that time to recover. Even your car can overheat, shoot your phone overheats. Like just slow down and recover so you can be the person you need to be for the people around you. I didn't see the importance of that. And my sleep schedule was off. I'm glad I just went to the West Coast because now like I'm used to, like I was tired in the West Coast and I was tired coming back and hopefully I can go to sleep at decent times, you know, and, and now it's starting to balance out. But that time I left you to comment on your the, the review on the, on the Third Lab podcast, it was 4.48 in the morning and I was in a bad place. And I think that I don't take into consideration like, I don't have to work this hard, but I do have to work this hard because if I'm going to be able to retire in five years when I'm 35 or in 10 years, uh, or at least leave the eco center, like eat, leave the eco foundation in five years and stop working all together. So I could be a stay at home dad from 35 to 40. And then my 40, like just be done. I'm just a consultant. I'm just a teacher, teach what I want, whatever. But if I'm going to do that, I have to put the work in today and, but it doesn't all have to happen overnight. I learned, like, when you think about, like, Kwame Toure or Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton I look up to a lot. Like, one of my other heroes, like Angela Davis or, uh, of course, Asada Shakur or even, like, more recently, like, I have, we all have these heroes, right? Like, the sisters who started BLM, they take breaks. You got to take breaks. You got to breathe. We don't hear about MLK, you know, chilling on a Sunday with the kids, you know, uh, after church, just busting a grub and all of that. Like, we don't hear about those. We only see their actions and their accolades. And I think that that's important to remind ourselves like we're not invincible. We need to take time. I've had I've had a panic attack. A panic attack. The day of the grand opening was my first panic attack. I had to pull over, and just thinking about it, I still get a little overwhelmed because I felt like I wanted this. This wasn't like this was years in the making to have our own community center, but the grand opening was literally like an idea. In July and June, I was like, "Hey, board, we're gonna get this spot for the low. Is it cool with y'all?" They did a walkthrough, boom. July, we started planning the grand open. And August 16th, August 20, July 27th, we moved in. August 16th, it happened. So I'm driving here, panicking, thinking about the things I didn't delegate to my team that I should have delegated. And now we're in a bind because it starts in 30 minutes and I'm still running around doing errands. But I got people like Stephanie, I got people like Selena, I got people like Lotus and, and Dequisha and, and Bella and Oba and the whole board that really holds us down but I got to lean on them. And as a leader, it's hard. It's hard to, to pass that, pass your baby on, you know, unless someone else water it, you know, unless someone else give us sunlight and nutrients, but, but it's important, man. And, and something I, I think that like go hardness, I've always had like in senior year, I, ch I changed majors from education and communications. I took 42 credits that school year, five internships and pledged my fraternity all in my senior year while keeping my scholarship. But that's like what had to get done. Like it was do or die, you know, um, and the next year, I think I, I prepared me for something because the next year I was shot six times and my homie was shot once and my other homie was shot twice in the arm and in the chest and Stephen Kyrie Johnson didn't live, you know, and 
that survivor's guilt was tough. Like, why am I still on this earth? And, and he's not. So like, just working, 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 working. I feel like I had to because I'm still on this planet. And as long as I'm moving with a purpose and remember to take rest or remember to recover rather than, then it's all going to be all right. But you know, it's, those are my challenges. Are, I can go on them all day about that brother, but, but God and the creator has been moving with me and the ancestors moving through me and using me as a vessel. So I've just been, um, I've been fortunate to have the right people around me to keep me grounded. Man, you, you named a bunch of things here. And so, you know, for a quick, I want to shout out Kwame Ture, like you said, Fred Hampton. So my dog's name is Freddie. She's named after Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. Um, if and when I do open my school, it's going to be named the Hampton Institute, named after Fred Hampton, who, you know, my wife, again, I could have a whole episode about all the things my wife that introduced me to. Um, but she came by my crib maybe like 12 years ago when we were still living in South Orange, New Jersey. And she was like, yo, like, I want to show you this documentary. Um, and it was the murder of Fred Hampton. And that documentary changed my life. It's on YouTube. I don't watch it now twice. I, I can't watch it but so many times because it also infuriates me that the Chicago Police Department assassinated that man. Um, and like purposefully with the help of the ADA got away with it. And so, you know, it really was tough to watch. But also when you see Fred Hampton is 22 years old, and there's one part of the documentary that stood out to me, he was sitting down with this two or three dudes who had come because they had like a proposal they wanted to like get some money from the Panther Party in Chicago. And so he was like, he broke it down. He was like, so what's it doing for the people? They didn't really have an answer. He was like, okay, so if we give you this money, then like, why should we give it to you versus somebody else? They didn't have an answer. And so just sitting there and watching somebody so young and so sharp where he had to be assassinated because they knew if he wasn't that he was gonna unify Chicago in a way that it hadn't been before. And then when you look at like nowadays, people wanna talk about Chicago as the epicenter of violence and gun violence and gang violence and everybody that, you know, people that are, lots of Trump supporters point to Chicago as the reason why black people can't ever get it together. And I've had several conversations with people where I'll point them to Fred Hampton's assassination. I'm like, you don't understand that like this was purposeful. Pro was purposeful. They decentralized the Panther Party and literally killed or incarcerated the vast majority of the people that participated in it under the guise of the rise of the Black Messiah because they knew if we organized and continued to organize, things were going to change, right? Like they burned um, Black Wall Street and Tulsa to the ground for hate reasons, right? Because they knew and understood in a way that sometimes as black people, we don't, that our unity is so powerful. When we look at ancient Egypt and Kemet and all of these different places, when we take time to sit down and realize all of the great things that they provided that were stolen by Greece and, and, and Rome and are now you know, allocated to Western philosophers who really just plagiarized all of the things that they learned going through the Egyptian mystery system. Like in ourselves, we have so much power and through understanding that we have to take breaks, um, we have to rest, right? Recover. I like what you said about recovery. Even the best athletes have to recover. Now they're using like chambers to lay in. Uh, we can't necessarily afford that, right? But like, you know, oh, it's chamber. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Them hyperbolics, like, nah, but you know, I wish I wish I did feel guilty playing 2K. Since I started the podcast, I played so much less 2K, but like 2K have become my mental health, right? Because I had to find a way to channel so much of my anger and frustration into something. And it ended up being 2K. Now it's this podcast and several other things that I'm working on, but you know, we have to take that time. And my therapist told me something that I share with people constantly, which was, she's a couples therapist actually. And 
her name is Shadeen. And so Shadeen was like, joy is the most revolutionary thing you can do because white people never intended us to be joyful, right? White supremacy was not like, it's, it's underlying like process and, and philosophy is that we don't receive and feel joy. And so taking time to be joyful is the most revolutionary act you can participate in. And after that, I was like, wow. Well, first of all, then you understand why we paying her the money we pay her because she's worth she's worth it. But also like that put me in a different place because I'm like, yo, bro, like I can't stop, right? Like I, I can't stop. Like I have to give everything that I have and I have to figure out how to bring the game to the people. And that's how this podcast started. Cause I'm like, man, how do I bring more of the game to the people? How do these conversations not get stuck between me and some really awesome person or me and a cipher of really awesome people? How do we turn this around so that people can sit and on a train or in their car or just jogging, learn something new and push themselves in a different way? And so, you know, my sleep cycle was off and like I, I had a stress patch in my hair and, you know, I had gray hairs popping up all over the place, PTSD and anxiety. And, and I got diagnosed with depression at 14. And so I say all of that because one of the main things so the third lap podcast really started to talk about the difficulties that people face it evolved into a mental health podcast in a lot of ways to a black mental health podcast because to this point everyone that i've talked to is either black or latinx and so everyone has talked about how they've had to find ways to prioritize their joy their mental health and then ultimately their finances to get to where they want to go and so you know you mentioned all of those things but you also mentioned survivor's guilt, which is something that I think a lot of people go through that have been through traumatic events. I have it myself to a certain extent. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah. You mentioned that you were shot six times. And so you don't have to necessarily tell the story as much as like, talk to us about how you use that as a means to continue to like fuel your passion and motivation. I think that, um... One, uh, before I forget, please share your uh, counselor's info with me because uh, your therapist, because me and my lady just got engaged and um, we're, that's part of our engagement process, right? Um, but I, it wasn't a part of my life at the time, right? So I, I can't talk about how it's benefited me or how it helped me in a healthy way without saying, I didn't go to therapy until 2017. I was shot New Year's Eve or attending New Year's Day 2013. So for four years, I was self-medicating and I was in an unhealthy space. And I heard a lot of people, I bled over a lot of people that didn't cut me. And there were a lot of women who were the collateral damage to my healing, which was not right. Um, but that being said, 2017 shots, my, my fiance, Dequisha Jones, uh, for now, um, she, she told me, I'm not your therapist. I'm, I'm not your therapist and it's not fair to me or any other friend to, to lean on me in that way. You have to go talk to a professional. Um, and I think that's why I was able to start to see the things I was going through because that experience was traumatic and, and I still have, I still have nightmares sometimes, but that guilt, I just want to focus on the guilt real quick. Like, I think we can have survivor's guilt. We just make it out the hood. We make it out of any type of situation that is, a, there's already a guilt in that. Right. But I died on the hospital table table briefly, and it was what they call a cold blue when your heart stops. And I don't remember being dead. Um, I just, was, I was asleep for a while, for real, for real. But that experience was so vivid, like the shooting, the blood, the, you know, like you don't, you don't unsee those things. And I think that for me, 
when I was realized, like Stephen jo- Stephen Kyrie Johnson was such a hardworking brother. Like we would be up until like four a.m. and he would he's an EMT. He was an EMT. He would get up at six and then drive all the way out to like an hour away and drive as an EMT all day and then come back and do it all over again. Like he had he was a senior at Temple. Like he was just a hardworking person, man. Like just so hardworking that I felt like you know I had. I have to work just as hard. I have to do this for Steve. And after a while, it wasn't about Steve. It was about me. It was just like, yo, I'm still on this planet. Like, it's clear that I'm here for a real reason because he got hit like I got hit, but he ain't even breathing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, I mean, right now, 50 on some other stuff, but that was some real stuff he said then, you know? So it's 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 just it's just added to my work ethic and um, and it, it's motivated me, man. Like, and and I think that because of that, I had to be handled with care. I don't, I think not enough educators aren't being treated as fairly as we as they should be and oftentimes people who are in any of the services like if you're dealing with helping and healing people or educating them we are not being handled that way so when I worked at a drop-in center for homeless youth we said it was a safe space but it was a safe space for them not for us we talk about they need self-care they need this they need that but where, where's ours at like we say that we want the students to be uh, holistically educated or uh, pay attention to their learning styles, but you're not even managing me based on my learning style. Why do I have to get this email, sit through this, this staff meeting, and that's not my style? Like, I'm not going to receive it that way. Send me a voice memo. I'll get it all. Like make a podcast. Like I'll get it. I'll get every drop. You know what I mean? Like, but I think that's where it comes in. Anytime I see an injustice, anytime I see, um, sometimes it's not my fight, and it's learning what your fight is because you only got so much water to pour out the little fires, right? And if you're busy putting out fires that someone else could put out or someone has a whole lot more water to give then you're wasting your resources. Um, and that same water, other than just putting out fires is about planting seeds and like nourishing those seeds. So you have to remember to have enough for that. And at the in-between and at the end of the day, you still gotta be able to drink some water to stay alive. Like get rest, drink water and talk to loved ones and experience joy, like prioritize joy. That should be like a shirt. Y'all should come up with some merch. So prioritize joy, I'll buy it. Um, I got I to gotta connect, let me know. So um, that's what it is, man, because I think that like the ch- biggest challenges as creatives, especially COVID is taught is like, we have all these ideas and I'm seeing podcasts and authors and inventions and like black people, we're really doing it right now. This is a renaissance, like same thing that happened a hundred years ago. I know you know about history as well. Like what happened then is happening today. The music, the art, all of that stuff is booming and popping. The world is going to crap and um, the market is poop. But Black people are thriving. You know, we're creating, we're inventing. So we got to keep that same energy. But before you go run off a cliff or pay $200 or $1,000 sometimes for a seminar, make sure that's what you really want to do. I listen to this podcast called Earn Your Leisure Podcast. They have on all types of professionals. I, read, I was ready to be a trucker one episode, start a vending machine company, another episode, like, Every other, every, whoever the guest speaker is, I'm like, I want to do that. That sounds great. You know, buy my class. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Like I'm almost ready to pull the trigger. And it's like, stay in your lane. Like don't go chasing waterfalls, whatever your purpose is, move through that. And I see these kids. I didn't want to get out of bed today. It is my first day, like back to work for a for since our, our, um, our engagement getaway. I just know that I can't let those kids down. Like they tell me I get out of the house. So I, I come here so I can get out the house. I come here so I don't gotta be around my little cousins all day. And now mind you, they all work together now. So that's a different conversation. We have to start doing different shifts, but, but I know that I owe it to them.
And when we ride through the city and people see us all wearing helmets, like riding bikes, like moving organized or walking talkies, like they're like, yo, look at them go. Like, like you, we have to do it, it's bigger than us. So I live sometimes days where I don't want to keep on going. I, I live for them. And what I've learned also through therapy, shout the Black Men Heal, which gives you free therapy sessions. And then at the end of it, you got to pay, but they give you your first eight sessions, eight sessions free. But my therapist has taught me like it's not necessarily that I, I don't want to live. Sometimes I just don't want to live like this. And in order for these parts of me to die, um, I have to be willing to let them go. And anytime you transform, anytime you you transition to a new phase or a new stage, a part of your old self has to die. And your, your flight can't take off if you've got too much baggage. So you have to learn what you have to let go of and what you're going to leave behind. So you can ultimately get to where you're trying to go. And it's, it sucks and it's hard, but but you got to, and that thing, that's the, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing right there. Nah, man, you said a word right there, bro. I got you on the, on the, uh, on the therapist. Uh, once this episode is over, we'll chop it up and I'll share her information with you. I'm going to check in with her too, just to make sure that she's taking new clients. Um, again, my wife, uh, you know, because of the, like the economics around it, we had kind of fallen back from, um, seeing her and, you know, my wife and I had gone through some really difficult times in our relationship, even recently, you know, over the summer, the pandemic, like we both work and live in the spot. Like we wasn't going nowhere. Right. Like we was just in here. It was just me and her. And, you know, that took its toll on us. And so, you know, she came to me, man, and she was like, yo, like we really know we, we got to go back. And I was at a point where I was like, ah, yeah, you're right. And, you know, we make the money work, we make it happen, sacrifices, whatever it has to be, but we have to prioritize mental health. Um, something that you also said, which is really, I would summarize as like our evolutionary process, right? Like if you're, uh, most Def Yasin Bey said it, evolve a diet ain't falsify. And I was in like 2000 on black on both sides. And when I heard it, it was so real. And I was too young to really comprehend it then, but it's a, it's a lyric that sticks in my mind because as you evolve, like you said, your baggage, it can't weigh you down. You can't have but so many fetters that are holding you to the ground that you can't lift off. But sometimes that evolution also means changing the people around you. Because if the people that are initially around you at one stage aren't ready to make that transition to the next stage with you, you can't let them stop you, right? And like, that could be loved ones, that could be a lover or a partner, that could be really close friends, that could be whoever it may be, a job, whatever it may be. Like, you are responsible not solely like, you know, there are other things at play socioeconomically, but for the most part, like you are responsible for ensuring that you make it through each of these phases successfully. And when it's time to, and so I've been going through sobriety for the past like eight months. I haven't really been messing around with marijuana as much as I used to. And my dad, who will be on a later episode, one thing that he told me when I had relapsed, he was like, once you're over it, you can never go back to it again, right? And when he hit me with that, I was like, damn, like, true. It's so real though. And I think that that also, it can apply to every single thing that we do. It applies to our lives. It applies to our loved ones. It applies to our careers. Like once you had a place where you're done with it, you're done with it. Now, whether or not you choose to keep pushing forward, you're still done. You'll still cycle back to that same moment of like, Yo, I'm over it. And so that evolution is so important. It's something I talk to people a lot about and I need to do a better job myself of, but it's easy to tell other people and it's hard to do it yourself sometimes. But also that like we talked about accounting earlier, but 
doing like a an inventory of where you are currently in your life. I tell people every three to six months, you should take a moment of self-reflection and reassess who you are and where you are. Because a lot of us are working from who we were 10 years ago. And if you still, or five or a year ago, right? Like if you think about yourself, Kyle, a year ago, you aren't that same person in so many different ways, right? And so if you're still working from that same thought process of Kyle from a year ago, you can't get to the point where you're successfully going to be a husband, a father, push forward through all of these different endeavors that you find yourself a part of. And so all of those things that you mentioned around evolution were really important. But one thing that I do want to, what was your boy's name again that passed away? Uh, Stephen Kyrie Johnson. Stephen Kyrie Johnson. Yo, let's take a moment of silence for Stephen Kyrie Johnson, man. May he rest in peace. And that moment of silence, honestly, is for all of the people, man, that we've lost to the streets, the gun violence, to all of the things that have happened to this point in time. Um, because, you know, that's a real thing, um, you know, black on black violence, whether, you know, statistically, we can say like it's a proximity thing. But if you're in that proximity where it's happening to you, it's a real thing. And so, you know, like I said, I want to take a moment of silence before we moved on just to recognize him and his legacy. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah. This is Mal Davis with the Third Lap Podcast. I'm here with Kyle Morris from the Eco Foundation, just talking about his path to where he is in his career. Um, and so before we go directly into your motivation, I really want to talk about where are you headed next? So you, you talked about it a little bit, right? At 35, being able to really do what you want. At 40, you know, 35 to 40, raising the kids and kicking the feet up. That's where I'm at. Once my wife gets her MBA, she think I'm joking. I told her, listen, you're going to get the paper. I'm going to raise these kids. I'm going to kick the joints up. We're going to hang out. <laughs> she hate when I say it. She don't think I'm serious, baby. When you hear this episode, I'm dead serious. <laughs> but, um, you know, where were you headed next? What, what's next for you? Where I'm heading next is towards purpose, I hope, uh, towards peace. And realistically, I have a year and a half. Yeah, I'm done school May 2022. I'll be done uh, my doctor degree. And at that point, I'll spend the next three years. I mean, honestly, I'm continuing to delegate, build systems so I don't have to be in the center. Like, I, I, it's running itself now. And I don't know what's going to happen with COVID or not, but I do know that there's still going to be gaps in our schools and we'll always need to have places like the Eco Center that educate our children creatively and work with their parents. Um, two years from now, that, that fall, uh, of 2022, we'll be opening up the second eco center in North Philly. That's our goal. Um, and so then like 2025, realistically, man, I'll be turning 35 and I want to be, I want to be done with eco, man. I think someone else should lead it. And my point, my purpose right now is to find who that person is, or I guess when they say the, the master is ready, the student will show up or something like that. Like, I don't know about all that feng shui stuff, but I do know that it's my responsibility to pass up a time and train everyone, really everything that I have. And then maybe it's not one leader, maybe it's a team of leaders that make a decision. We, just, we don't have to be how it used to be. We just have to get our organization towards, like where we have to continuously work on that. So that's what I'll be doing, man. Um, and then after 35, man, I just want to spend that time, like hopefully, uh, Maybe my, my fiance and I will be ready to have children, but if she's not ready, then we'll spend some more time just traveling together, just learning each other, uh, building each other up, building a life. Because by 40, man, I'm telling you, bro, like I'm like I'm on a 10-year plan. Like my life insurance policy in about 
15 years from now we're matured enough where if I need to borrow 100,000, I can borrow 100,000, but I don't really want to touch that. And hopefully I don't have to. So that's it, man. I'm just going to be living in purpose and living in peace, man. And the rest, I don't know. Because if you asked me what I was going to be doing a year ago, I wouldn't be leading a community center. Wouldn't have been nothing about COVID. And I mean, like, I still thought I was going to be, I know I'll be in school because I'm paying for it, but I, I just, I never would have guessed. And I don't know what the creator has in store for me in a year from now or two years, but that's what I plan. But they say, man, playing God laugh. So, um, and they also say, I think it's Octavia Butler. I don't want to butcher the quote too much, but she says, the only thing constant is change. Everything that changes, changes you. God is change. And, um, and that's just something to, to, to just sit with and, and appreciate. So it'll be some change. I, I know that much. Yeah, it's always change, right? Um, and I love that. My mother used to always tell me that, the old Yiddish proverb, we make plans and God laughs. Um, because I, it took me a really long time to get to where I am. And at 35, so when I was 18, when I was, I told one of my ex-girlfriends, I was like, at 30, I'm gonna be a millionaire. And she laughed at me and I was like, I'm that serious. And at the time I was rapping, I thought that that was gonna be the key to my success. Um, and then I ended up falling away from that and getting into education but never lost that spirit. Like, you know, I'm five years away, but I'm like, yo, in five years, like I could legitimately still be a millionaire, right? Like I'm sharper now than I ever have been in my entire life. You know, when we're wandering lost, um, it's tough. And that's what the alchemist is all about. It's like, you know, we have what we need already. We could search the whole world, but it'll bring us right back to zero, right where we are currently, right? Because it's in us innately. And so, you know, I'm sure that wherever you end up, you'll be exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. And like you said, whether you and your fiance, soon to be wife, will be traveling the world, the children, I would say definitely take the time to get to know each other. You know, my wife and I talk about adopting now, but we've been together five, we've been married five years together, 10 to be 11 in January. And every one of these years has been worth it because we had to know each other and the difficulties that we've overcome will only make us better parents and like solidify us when we have kids. Cause you know, I've seen people have children and their relationship falls apart because a kid really complicates things in a way that none of us can really perceive. And so, you know, we've talked about where you from, how we know each other, had a chance to introduce you. Um, you've talked about your story. So how it started, the difficulties you've overcome, where you are now, where you headed next. Kyle, I really want to hear, and you talk a little bit about it, but I really want to hear, what is your motivation, man? Like, what's your why? What keeps you going on those days when you're like, man, I am not trying to get out of this bed. I do not want to go to the foundation today, but you still show up. Why is that? Honestly, man, it's those that came before me and those that are got next, you know, um, it's, it's, it's keeping my word to myself. You know, I say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it. I've quit drinking for six months, eight months. I've quit smoking here and there. I've quit smoking blacks here and there, you know. I always, uh, I have the wherewithal and the strength to like, to to do what I say I'm gonna do. And that's something that I pride myself on. So if I say I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And no is a complete sentence. I could just leave it at that. So if I agree to something, I'm gonna do it. Unless something wild happens, like completely out of my control. Um, but, and not even get into like, oh, people sacrificed so much um, 150 years ago or 20 years ago, which our ancestors did. And 500, 1,000 years ago, they also made different types of sacrifices. But my mom, 
and dad sacrificed too much for me not to get my black behind up and do what I got to do. Like when I was a kid, all I had to do was go to school and get good grades and be quiet. I couldn't shut up in school. I was always a class clown. Um, I always say, I was always told that I was hyping I'm loud, but all I ever needed was a mic and a crowd. And I know that now in hindsight, which is 2020, what my dad says, but, but the reality of it is, man, like, I couldn't do it then, I'm doing it now for my parents. Like they they put the work in, my grandparents put the work in. My grandma has like a, like she graduated from high school, but her, I still at her birth certificate. Her mother didn't, you know. It's just it's just too much that we've gone through to not keep doing it. And our kids need us now more than ever. And our responsibility as black men is to make sure we do a lot of re-educating to our black boys so that they view themselves as, as purposeful. And they, they know you don't have to see what every woman you find attractive or connected to. And it's okay to cry and, and you don't have to be better than the next man just because all your music says be better than the next person. That's just what we got to do as black men and also like love on our black women and black girls, you know, and just show them that it's okay. You'll never hear my, my kids at, at the Eco Center or our kids rather, like not speak out of love. Cause when they do, as soon as they do, I make them say a poem. Like just same thing my fraternity taught me. Oh, really? Oh, excuses or, or what's words? Words, words, the power of words, the power to help, the power to hurt. So when I use the power of words, I'll only use loving and powerful words. Like I wrote that poem because I heard my kids just saying any old thing to each other. That's how Keep Your Crown Up started. Like it started because like, you need that positive reminder to stay positive and you got this. So what, what gets me going, I have Keep Your Crown Up tatted on me. But I also have this Adinkra symbol, uh, which translates to he who wants to be king must first serve. So I have to remember, I have to keep on serving. Right above that, my fraternity like tattoo was on me, my chapter letters, a paddle and a wolf for Cheney University. Like I gotta do it for Cheney, the first HBCU. I gotta do it for Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, the first intercollegiate black uh, fraternity. So it's like, these are the things that I have on me as reminders. And that's what gets me going because I know the kind of life I want to live. And if I'm going to get there, everyone I admire and respect, whether it's like Issa Rae or Tiffany Haddish, like these sisters really putting a lot of work to get where they are. Um, and then greats that I forget about sometimes, like LL Cool J, he, he ain't come from just, you know, he's he's done it. Nick Cannon, I look up to Nick Cannon so much. Like these people, it wasn't just handed to them. They had to really, really grind. And um, Keenan Ivy Waynes is somebody I look up to a lot as well. He's put so many people on so humble, he doesn't need the spotlight. And that's just, that's the, that's the kind of leader I'm going to be as a conductor. Yeah, man, shout out to Nick Cannon for real, because uh, he grinds, yo. Like Nick Cannon is out here making paper, dude. And so many people sleeping on the amount of money that Nick Cannon has made. And like, he really did it, like you said, out the dirt, man. Like he really grinded. I was actually listening to um, Conway the Machine today his uh one of his mixtapes and so he had ice t on there and ice t was talking about how he's just a hustler he was like i'm not an actor he was like i'm not a rapper he was like i'm a street dude and so he gave this anecdote the story about how he had gone to a label uh shopping his um album and the dude was like yo let me hear a verse and he was like nah he was like you either gonna buy it as it is or let me walk and he was like you know if i sold grenades to you in the alley like i can't let you test the grenades like if you test it like you know that can't happen and he was like even if you do test one of them like that could be the only one that works and so you're either gonna take it or walk and you know the dude he was like ice t was like you know the guy says to him uh, did you know, did you go to business school? He was like, nah, I used to sell grenades in the alley. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and so, you, yo, but when I'm listening to it, like, again, God is always on time because, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about what's next for me in a lot of ways. And I hear Ice-T talking about that. And the reminder is that you always got to hustle. You always got to be working. You always got to be moving and pushing towards something, even if it's incremental steps. Like, we can't always take giant leaps. You know, the giant leaps that you see are really broken down into a bunch of incremental steps. A lot of times I play football. So when you're looking at that 10 yards for a first down, well, nowadays, kind of with Patrick Mahomes and dudes like that, they throw him for 10, 20 yards a pop. But a lot of times it's a three-yard run, a two-yard run, uh, a five-yard pass, first down, right? Like it's the incremental steps that walk you to Patriots with Tom Brady at the when he was the GOAT uh, there. Like they used to kill you with short passes and short plays, but long drives that get them into the end zone. And so, you know, we see the touchdown celebrations, but we don't really think about the 80 yard 10 play drive that got them there. Right. And so, you know, when you're thinking about, okay, I need to take these steps. I got to keep working. I want folks to really think about, like you said, who are your mentors? Who are the people you look up to? And a lot of times they're the people closest to you. Like you said, I do this for my family. I do this for my mother and my father. I really do this for my younger cousins because I wasn't always a good role model, but they always looked up to me and it really bothered me because I was doing a lot of knucklehead stuff. And in the midst of like my, my foolishness, I saw that like they was looking at me and, you know, I realized one day, like, yo, I got to tighten up. And when I finally did, thankfully, you know, I was able to set a better example. And now where I am, like, I'm proud of the fact that they do look at me as a leader of my family, but I had a lot of guilt around the fact that I knew better, but wasn't doing better. Um, and so for folks that, you know, where you are right now, you could be somewhere completely different in the future. You could be somewhere completely different in a week. Set a goal, set a target, set the incremental steps. A lot of that backwards planning, I believe in it wholeheartedly. Set a goal, set the steps moving backwards, knock them joints out, man, and get to it, yo. Um, and so Kyle, everything again that you've said today, it's, it's, it's a blessing to have made this connection with you. I'm so excited about the fact that like, We'll continue to be brothers in arms in this work. I'm really excited about, you know, being able to continue to participate with Eco and really, you know, lend some of what I know and can do as far as like workforce development and training stuff. We talked a little bit about it and we'll find time to talk more in depth. Um, but I'm really excited to just continue to partner with you and have found a person that is so passionate about this work. I can't wait till the episode drops um, because like, I think that people will get a chance to see you. People close to you will probably get a chance to see you in a way that they may not currently see you. Um, and I really hope that you get all the accolades that you deserve. But I love the fact that, like you said, you're trying to lead from the back. You're trying to enable the people around you through delegation to be able to run this foundation on their own to the point where you can step away and go do something else. And any great leader, that's what they're doing, is setting their people up to lead, right? At some point, like somebody else has to step across the threshold and into the light. And so, you know, we, we're, we're deep into this podcast. We're getting towards the end. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah. So this is the part of the podcast where I really just like to get some motivational thoughts. So say people only listen to two to three minutes of this whole podcast. They just happen to jump in at this point in time for whatever reason on their commute. And so Kyle, what are your motivational thoughts for the people? Um, well, it's December, so don't eat yellow snow. Uh, that's, that's the first thing I wanna say. It's not lemonade. My cousin told me that. But in all seriousness, man, I think it's, um. Just remember to be intentional, be intentional in everything you do, like really ask yourself why, ask those hard questions. Um, 
and, and see if something aligns with where you're going. Like if it doesn't fit the brand, like with Fred Hampton, I gotta watch that documentary. Like if it's not for the good of the people, if it's not for the good of whatever your mission is, then don't do it because there's too many distractions. And uh, I know you're gonna ask about books later, but this isn't my book. I recently read a book called The Third Lap. And I'm sorry, this is The Third Lap, called The Third Door. And in The Third Door, the guy talks about some advice he got from Warren Buffett was to put 25 things that you wanna do in the next year down. And then if you could only do five of those things, what would you do on the other side of the paper? And anything that is not those five things is a distraction and it'll make you feel good, but it'll pull you away from your purpose. Do not get pulled away from purpose. That is how we get to where we're supposed to be. That's why we're on this planet, whether you're an infant that was only on the planet for two days or you're uh, an a-hole that's been on the planet for 110 years. Everyone in between has a purpose driven life and should live that way. So keep your crown up, trust the process, protect your light. It's gonna be all right, you got this. That's what I would say. Keep your crown up, man, 100% that. And so episode five, I got a chance to talk to the homie Marquise and he talked about turning 26, I believe he's 26, 25 or 26, but his birthday this year is all about intentionality. And I loved it, right? And like when I turned 35, like I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just steal that, man. I'm gonna do that. Um, because intentionality is 100% the right wave. And if you aren't being intentional about the things that you're doing, I love what you just said too. I'm actually about to go and do that now because I know a couple of the things that I need to knock out and I've been working towards them, but I'm really terrible with checklists. And as a professional, my one of my uh, former supervisors, Kevin Bryan, shout outs to Kev. He uh, gave me a book called The Checkli Checklist Manifesto. And I read it. Yeah, it's a good, yo, well, first of all, I was really nervous about the fact that doctors had so many things that they had to cover and they were skipping. And I was like, whoo, <laughs> it's like, I've been blessed, man, with some of these <laughs> pilots too. They were skipping that Pilots, too. yo, yeah, it was, it, it was kind of, it was kind of scary, but on the same note, like the, the whole purpose of the book was to be more intentional, like make those checklists, knock stuff off as a professional. I don't do nearly as good a job. I do that for my work, but not for my life. Right. And so like I, I'm being more intentional about transitioning the things that have helped me get to where I am in my career to then help me become a better person, um, because I know that they've worked for me on one end. Why can't it work on this side, too? And so, you know, I love everything that you've said so far today. You know, this episode was everything that I imagined it would be plus a thousand times more because you, you just dropped jewels from the start to the finish. And so, you know, I love those motivational thoughts for the people. I am going to send you the name of the uh, relationship therapist. I'm going to send you a link to the Fred Hampton documentary because definitely watch that um, because that one, man, was clutch. And, you know, my wife gave, she showed me when I was like 24, I think. And I was still too young to kind of really comprehend what would be next for me. Um, but so many parts of that documentary have laid the foundation of where I am today. And also why our dog's name is Freddie. And our next one will be named Hampton. Um, shout outs to the OG, man. And so, uh, what are you reading? So you mentioned the books. What are you reading right now, Kyle? Uh, I'm, I'm finishing, I got like two hours left on um, Smart Cuts. And I don't know why I'm listening to Smart Cuts. I think someone referred it and I ended up there. Um, I really, really, really love The Third Door. It was a great John, uh, just about there's always another way in and sometimes by any means necessary. Um, uh, you mentioned the Checklist Manifesto. A book that started me on, I, I never read a book before. Like I've never read a physical book other than like Dr. Seuss. I only listen to books and that started in 2019. Um, I was doing this 10 week pledge and the first book was Atomic Habits. 
uh, Atomic Habits is a great starter that just helped me do things because Atomic Habits is all about, it's about those incremental tiny things that you do that help you get to where you're going. Whether it's habit stacking, like, okay, I want to start reading before I go to sleep. I'm going to leave a pillow on my bed after I make it. Or I want to start hitting the gym. So if I always take my shoes off in the couch right before when I first come in and sit down, my gym bag with my sneakers and bottle of water is already right there. So habit stacking and whatever else, Atomic Habits is a good job. So I'll say Smart Cuts, Third Door, and um, Atomic Habits. Those are all great books. And I'll send you a screenshot of like other stuff just for you personally that I enjoy. Yeah, nah, send that to me, man, because I'm always trying to read. I have, through this pandemic, I've bought 20 books and I've chipped away at some of them. Um, The Intelligent Investor is one that I'm really rocking with right now. It's like, that joint is like a thousand pages. So I'm working through it and then, you know, taking that and then making it more. I'm old school, so like, I need the highlight. I can't listen to the Jones. Like me and my dad was talking about this before with Audible and I'm just like, I can't, you know, I can read it on my phone. It's okay. But personally, like, I like to be able to have like the physical copy. Don't have to be hard copy, soft copy, whatever it is. Um, but I like the highlight. I'm a, I'm a dog ear to marks. And, and, you know, I like to be able to hand it off to the homies. Um, a book that was really good. And I don't know if you've read it before. Revolutionary Notes by Julius Lester. It was just, it was crazy. So he published a bunch of short essays and essays between 1967 in 1969 going into the 70s and it was all about like the revolutionary actions that were happening at that point and it was tough because he has such optimism going into the 70s around like how the world was going to change and I think I read it in like 2011 or 12 and reading it I was just so disappointed because none of the stuff that he anticipated happening happened um, but it was just such a great book. It, Julius Lester, dope author, revolutionary notes, incredible book. I definitely suggest that to anyone that really is trying to dig into just being able to encapsulate what happened in the late 60s and really hear it from like a really intelligent person. Um, just absolutely just amazing book. Wish I still had it. Gotta go buy it again. Kyle, we connected about everything, you know, intro, you know, how we know each other. You repped your hood, Roxborough. Um, you know, shout out to Philly at Roxborough. Talked about your story, your motivation. You gave the people some dope motivational thoughts. Share some excellent reading with us. And so- Noted that, thank you. Yeah, and I'm gonna shoot that one to you too. I just looked this on Amazon. I'm gonna have to buy it again. Um, and so where can folks find you on social media? And then also, also plug the uh, Eco Foundation as well. I'm going to put links to the website for the Eco Foundation and links to your social media when the episode comes out, but definitely want to give you a chance to shout out all your social media too. Definitely. Um, find us on social media at the Eco Foundation. That's at T-H-E Eco, E-C-O Foundation. That's the same thing on our website, thecofoundation.com. I am Kyle the Conductor, Kyle, T-H-E Conductor, com or at Kyle the Conductor on IG. More importantly, find me at the Eco Center, 5411 Market Street, 5411 Market Street in West Philly, right under the L. Um, this is where it goes down at. This is where this is where we grow at. So come work with us. If there's anything you want to teach, anything you want to pass on virtually in person, let's make a shake. Yeah, man. Shout outs to the Eco Center or Eco Foundation. Shout outs to everyone working at the Eco Foundation, showing up, serving, whether that's through actually being paid to be there, volunteering, whatever it may be, 
you know, I love, again, everything that you all are doing there. I'm going to be there on Saturday, bright and early to help bag out and, and serve and, and pass stuff out. Um, I told my wife I wanted to come out. My pops will probably come out at some point, too. And, you know, we'll talk about, like, the job preparation stuff because, as you mentioned, that is less valuable for the kids because they could work with the Eco Foundation. And also, a lot of them don't really have to do but so much. Way more valuable for the parents. Um, and, you know, especially for folks that maybe have an F on a record or, you know, have really struggled to find consistent employment. Um, it's funny, man, you know, interviewing techniques are things that people like myself, recruiters hold sacred. Um, but we also don't turn around and try to give that information back to the people. And so, you know, it's my pleasure to be able to kind of put people on game and really help them understand what are some of the do's and don'ts. How do you show up, shake your hands, just looking people in the eye. Um, being able to present yourself in a professional way. And, you know, I also kind of look forward to the day where our definition of professionalism evolves because so much of it is steeped in white supremacy. Um, the people that originally created what professionalism is today used it as a means to oppress us, right? Like we couldn't get into the places where they work because we didn't have the access to the information that they had and they used that to steamroll us. And so, you know, I find so much power and joy in taking what I've learned and using it to be able to help people get jobs. Um, my homeboy Hatcher's Barber, who was episode number three, that's what he does. Um, he works in Harlem right now, I think, or Manhattan. Uh, ha you, you, when you hear this, you know where you work. <laughs> um, but you know, he's done it in prisons and he's done it in a lot of different places where he's helping folks get jobs and align them with their passions. And mine has been predominantly actually all in education, but outside of my education work, I really like working with the people, man, because it's just a chance to help people get to where they're trying to go. And, and each one teach one, you know, we all learn together, man. We all come together. And so Kyle, we we got to the end. We did your social media. We now here at the end. I told you that it was going to be like an hour, 15 minutes. I think this was longer. Um, and so my bad for not giving you a real <laughs> estimate time-wise. Um, but this was a pleasure, man. You know, I'm so happy that my wife came and, and put me into this direction. Thank you for the review. It really meant a lot to me. It really means a lot to me. Um, and that review ultimately motivated me to reach out to you. Um, and, you know, again, I'm just happy that we're making this connection and we'll continue to be connected. And so as we go ahead and wrap things up, um, is there anything you want to share? Last thoughts? Nah, man, just keep up great work. Um, shout out to Hat, that, that writing schedule that he has is phenomenal. So come up with your own schedule. And and I'm happy that you're still doing this, man. I'm, I'm just, the people need it. The streets need it. You're definitely living your purpose. So when it gets hard, just remember that. Yeah, I appreciate you. I set a goal for a year and much like yourself, man, you know, when I say I'm going to do something, um, I get it done. And so, you know, I've set a goal for a year's worth of episodes and then I'll step back and reassess. Folks are like, when you're going to do like a season one, season two, I was like, well, we're going to do a year. And then we'll reassess. And if we decide to keep going, that'll be season two. So um, right. I, I appreciate you, brother. You know, again, I'm really looking forward to reconnecting here soon in a couple of days. And so this is Mal Davis. Once again, each one, teach one. We all learn together. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. This is your host, Mal Davis. Please visit thethirdlappodcast.com for more information about the podcast, about our guests, and also to see our reading list. You can find us at The Third Lap Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook. 
at third lap on Twitter and at third underscore lap underscore podcast on Instagram. If you know anyone that would be great to be featured on this show, please reach out to our host, Mal Davis. He's always looking for interesting people to learn more about them and to talk about their pathway. Thank you so much again. Have a good one.